Hey, video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. It's almost the new year. 2020 is coming. It's true. It's almost the future. Do you have any New Year's resolutions, Ben? I want to try more video games that I usually would avoid, maybe some different genres and such. What about you? My resolution is to come up with some resolutions for next year. Oh, that's ambitious, I guess. And the new year is all about trying new things. And here at Memory Card, we're going to try a new format that we're calling Blips. They're little stories about five minutes in length that focus on a cool bit of gaming history that couldn't fill a whole episode. It's like a four-piece meal of history nuggets with some video game dipping sauce. Hmm. Now you're making me hungry now. Let's go ahead and boot up episode three. Push is going to be starting us off with his first little blip of gaming history. What you got, Push? How much of a Nintendo fan are you? I feel like I am a very big Nintendo fan, more than other gaming companies. Okay. Well, have you ever heard of a character called Mad Scheinstein? Um, maybe? He sounds familiar. He sounds kind of like a WarioWare guy, but I, I could be off. Well, you're kind of close. He never appeared in WarioWare, but he did appear in Wario Land. Oh, okay. The Game Boy series? Yep, the Game Boy series. And he's actually a reoccurring character in several games. He started off in the Japan-only um, Kaido no Tami ni Kaneo Naru. Ah, uh, yes, my favorite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a game that was built off of the uh, Legend of Zelda uh, Link's Awakening engine. And um, actually, the main character, the Prince of Sabre, he appears in Smash Brothers as an assist trophy. Oh, really? He can transform into a frog or a snake. The, the commercial for it is amazing because it's just like a bunch of frogs dancing up and down. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> like, seriously, off track. <laughs> uh, Matt Scheinstein, he appears in that game and he helps the prince by giving him some items that he needs to complete his quest. And, you know, for some time, that was his only appearance. But then he comes out in Warrior Land 3. In Wario Land 3, he's a, a mad scientist who throws potions at Wario to make him invisible. Oh. And he's actually kind of notable because he's one of the few enemies that actually isn't an enemy. In the official Engl English translation, it states that he's actually trying to help Wario. <laughs> By making him invisible? Yeah, so he's like trying to um, give Wario invisible potions so that way he could advance to the levels. Oh, I see. <laughs> By yeah. chuck it, chucking them at his head? And you know who translated uh, Wario Land 3 is uh, Bill Trinan. Oh, really? Yeah, he worked on the translation for that. Well, that's fun. So what does this fellow look like? Uh, he, he looks like a, uh, an evil scientist with like a weird big head. <laughs> <laughs> in Wireland 3, he has like a, a helmet on, but in the other games, he doesn't. Does he have crazy like scientist hair? He, no, he's kind of bald. Oh, he's kind of bald? <laughs> yeah, he, he has like some hair, you know. I don't want to dismiss oh, okay. his, his amount of hair. Then he appears again in Dr. Mario 64 which just reused a lot of characters from Mario Land 3. Ah. And Dr. Mario 64 is kind of interesting in itself because it's a US-only game, I believe. Like, it was only in the West. Really? Yeah, it actually didn't come out in Japan. That's strange. Yeah. And then, like, a couple months later, he appeared in Wario Land 4, and this time as an archaeologist who is trying to help Wario. He's investigating the pyramid as Wario goes through it. Oh, yeah, like the golden one, the golden pyramid? Yeah. But on the Japanese website, 
for Wario Land 4, you kind of get some interesting details about him, which are kind of adult. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, this is a family-friendly podcast push. I, I'll, I'll just read it as they wrote it, because it's, it's family-friendly enough, and if it's not, <laughs> you can cut it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Okay, so the question is, it's up from uh, a mom, and she's asking, like, what's the professor doing in Wario Land 4? Mm-hmm. And the professor says, oh, my name is Professor um, Shitan. Uh, in Japanese, it's Ario Shitan. I also appeared in Wireland 3, so of course you know me. What? You've never <laughs> heard of me? Well, listen carefully. I came to this pyramid because I'm an archaeologist. As you pointed out, I do show up in Wireland 4 to play games from time to time. But sometimes I need to take a break from my research. Please forgive me. Actually, <laughs> I do some other things during my breaks, but... It's not appropriate for young boys, so have your mother explain it to you someday. <laughs> it's not easy to say out loud, but I looked at something that was for adults. Even though I looked behind me to make sure no one was looking, it seems that someone found out. <laughs> I guess I'm a man after all. Oh, God. <laughs> for any children listening, he was looking at tax forms. Yeah. Because adults have to pay lots of taxes. Exactly. <laughs> wow, that's such a weirdly specific little detail. Is that from an official Nintendo website too? Yeah, official ne official Nintendo website. Oh no! Oh no! That's canon. Yeah, the Japanese marketing for Wario Land Four is pretty dirty. <laughs> it's like zany. I mean, like it's all about like Wario like pooping and like uh... talking about farts and stuff like that. So I think that's why a lot of people were confused when he appeared in Brawl with farts. <laughs> and everything because that kind of marketing never trans translated into the west hmm. i got to meet um yoshio sakamoto one time and um i actually talked to him about kairu no tamini kaneo naru i asked him why this character kept on coming back and he told me that it's he thinks it's because one of the artists on the team really liked the character but he wasn't 100 percent sure he sounds like a fun little side character that could just pop up uh, here and there yeah and um oh and in kairu no tamini he worked for a company called nintendo Nintendo with N-A-N? Yep. Nice. All right. Well, that was interesting. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't think I knew about that guy. I'll have to uh, kind of keep a, an eye out for him. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe make sure that he's not doing anything mm -hmm. <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my first blip is a very weird game for the PlayStation 2 um, that goes by the name Mr. Mosquito. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, this game before. In Japan, it launched as just Ka, and I could be saying that wrong, as K-A, yep. literally just means mosquito. So it was developed by this company that I've never really heard of before called Zoom Inc. Um, like I said, for the PlayStation 2, it came out in uh, 2001, and it was literally a game where you just played as a mosquito. It's kind of like a stealth game where you try and steal people's blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which sounds like if like Metal Gear Solid, but you're a vampire, you know? The Mosquito himself, the main guy, Mr. Mosquito, he kind of looks like a robot. Here's the thing. On the English box art, it's a very close-up of Mr. Mosquito flying towards the camera. He's got like kind of this robotic-looking body with some screws and these cool like glowing wings and very big like cartoony eyes. The Japanese box art's not look anything like that. Do you want to guess what it is? Uh, is it like someone's like skin that's like red or something? <laughs> Close. It's someone's like it's like a hyper realistic foot. Okay. And it's there's a a very realistic mosquito sucking on the pinky toe of it. 
<laughs> that's it and it has uh the the japanese title of ka on it mm. it's quite quite different the goal of this was you're mr mosquito and you had to fly around the yamada household and suck blood from different people's body parts oh so it couldn't just be anyone like anywhere no no yeah it'd be like hey go <laughs> go get on the dad's like head <laughs> Go get that mom's knee. <laughs> you would go into this like battle mode if they saw you. Like if you if you pulled too much attention buzzing around their head or if you were like if your mm. rate of sucking was too fast or too slow, they would notice and they'd try to like swat you. And then it would kind of go into a almost like Star Fox 64 like battle mode where you'd have to avoid them. Mm. So every stage is a different part of the household with different like family members, Yamada family members in them. And they just kind of go through the motions. Like the teenage girl will like talk on the phone and she'll get off her bed and like look in the mirror. And Oh, I wrote, I, have, I wrote down a list here of all the different, and I kid you not, they're called suck spots. <laughs> Thigh, back of the knee, bald head, left shoulder, bottom of left foot, eyelid. They get like weirdly specific mm. <laughs> by the end of the game. It's like, Hey, go suck on that, you know, like left nostril of that of that young child oh no i just want to point out as a science teacher that only female mosquitoes suck blood so the name mr mosquito not so scientifically accurate yeah they, they had one job to like research mosquitoes and, <laughs> no and... <laughs> they goofed it up every time you kill a mosquito that's sucking your blood you're just killing a really good mom yeah so think about that i feel like this game would be like would do really well in the modern era it feels like a sounds like an indie game, you know, like we had the Goose game, we had Octodad. <laughs> You're this thing now. Yeah. It was, I mean, surprisingly this game came out outside of Japan. It was by this publisher called Eidos Interactive and it was a, a new label for them called Fresh Games where they like specifically tried to pull games from Japan that were weird. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like a budget title. I think it was only like 30 bucks when you bought it, you know, like right from the start. Yeah, they probably saw the, the success of like games like Katamari and were like, wacky Japanese games, let's get on it. Um, but it was, I guess it did well enough in Japan that it got a sequel. Okay. Uh, so the first game came out in 2001, and the second game came out in 2003, and it was called Ka-2, Let's Go Hawaii. <laughs> Not Let's Go to Hawaii, yeah. Let's Go Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So it was, once again, like you followed the, followed the Yamada family on the vacation that they apparently won. Mm -hmm. And this time, you did not have to suck blood from a certain spot. You could just mm. go ham on any part of their body that you felt was good enough. Oh, okay. So they kind of simplified it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was, like, some kind of, like, a pressure point now where you could get, like, extra bonus blood points. And uh, you could, like, relax them by doing different things. Which I think was in the first one, too. Like, you'd, like, turn on the air conditioning and they get distracted and then uh, they would forget about you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the stealth part's kind of... Uh, interested and cool yeah yeah that's mr mosquito it's uh, a very bizarre game and uh everyone should check it out hopefully at some point it will get some kind of like a you know like you said it seems like it, it sell well these days maybe it needs like an hd reboot or something yeah hey folks we're putting this episode on pause for a moment to reveal how you can help memory card if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to support our gaming history endeavors you should consider pledging a dollar or two to our Patreon. For a single dollar a month, you'll receive special updates and be given the option of ad-free episodes. You won't have to hear this ad, the one that you're currently listening to, ever again. 
For $2 a month, you'll become an official member of Club 251, which gives listeners access to exclusive bonus content and detailed transcripts via our memory card website. Every little bit pledged helps us improve the show and grow memory card into something even more wonderful. Find out more on the support section of our website or at patreon.com backslash memcard. That's patreon.com backslash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And now, back to the show. All right, what you got for your second blip? My second blip is from uh, the No More Heroes franchise. Oh. Uh, have you played No More Heroes? I played the very first one that was on the Wii, right? Yeah. And then I had a friend who had the second one, but beyond that, I, I haven't. I think I beat the first game, mm-hmm. but I kind of fell off after that point. I, I love No More Heroes. Like Travis Touchdown, I, I think he's a pretty wacky character, and the story's pretty unique. And you know, it really had that satisfying combat mechanic mm-hmm. where you had to like swipe the Wii remote in a certain direction when fighting. I thought that was like so cool when I was kid. It was way more like responsive than a lot of other Wii games were somehow. I think it was because it was like just perfectly designed with the Wii remote capabilities. Like it wasn't like going for like one or one motion, like like Skyward Sword, for example. Because this was before the Wii Plus attachment to make everything like more perfectly attuned to your movements. Grasshopper Manufacturer, they released No More Heroes 2 in 2010, and the series kind of went dormant for a while, and I always wondered why. Years later, I did find out that No More Heroes had a spin-off game that was released in August 2012, and it was only for mobile devices, hmm. and uh, it's called um, No More Heroes World Ranker. World Ranker? Yep. Okay, that's an interesting title. It was a social video game where players could make their own assassin and fight through missions, and it included PvP. Really? So, yeah, you could uh, pick your friend and, you know, fight to be the best assassin. And what was the combat like? Hack and slash type of stuff? or? Yeah, yeah, the combat actually was kind of similar to No More Heroes, where you had to, like, swipe in certain directions. Hmm. But they did have, like, a gun and, like, a dual katana kind of, like, weapon slot. Um, they had, like, three different weapons, I believe. It was, like, katana, gun, and, and fist or something like that. Was it, like, a rock, paper, scissors type of thing, where... Yeah, I think so. So the the really difficult thing about this game is that there's only two videos that I've been able to find of this game. And one of it was a trailer. Yikes. And then the other game gameplay footage I was able to find was the tutorial. So this was 2012, you said? Yeah, August 2012. And it came out uh, August 2012 for Android. And then I believe like a month or two late, uh, two months later for iOS. Okay, I was going to say, like, iPhone and smartphones are kind of, they're not in their infancy, but they're... Yeah, they're still catching on. And the game was developed by uh, Dena, D-E-N-A. Oh, right. Aren't they the ones that Nintendo has been working with on their mobile games? Yep, exactly. And it was released only in Japan. Just like a couple years ago, I got to interview Suda, and I asked him about this, and he said that there were rights issues that prevent the game from being released outside of Japan. That's strange. I wonder what kind of rights. Yeah, because you think that grasshopper manufacturer would own all the rights or right so is that the only no more heroes mobile game that ever came out or were there more beyond that there was another set of mobile games that were released i think only on um docomo which is a uh, japanese cell phone service service provider it's like at&t oh i gotcha so like exclusive to that provider yeah and they had like a portal where people could like pay monthly and get games for their phone and this was back in 2008, so like super early in, in smartphones and having capable phones. 
Hmm. It was basically like flash games, like very simple games, as far as I can tell. I can't I can't find any footage of this. <laughs> it's just a rumor. Like I found like a Wired article about it, and that's about it. So it's been kind of lost to time. But that's the coolest kind of thing to find. People have forgotten yeah. about it. So there was um one where you played as Travis Touchdown, and you're trying to destroy the seventh rank uh, assassin, destroy men. And then there's another one where you play as um, Shaplit. Shep- Shep- I can't can't pronounce his name, but um, <laughs> you're you're like riding on Travis's um, bike. Oh, okay. And then another one where it's like a shooting game, which is based on the pure white giant Glastonbury, uh, Glastonbury retro arcade game, which is in the original one, which is in No More Heroes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to access it, you had to pay a monthly fee of about three dollars. But you got other stuff too, right? Like not just those games. Yeah, you got like other other games in that portal. Neat. Oh, one more thing: the World Ranker game. It also featured the ability for players to make their own character. Oh, that's cool. Your own assassin. Your own assassin. You could customize the face, the hair, and everything like that. And that's the only time that you even only have created character elements in uh, No More Heroes. At least for right now. Isn't number three coming out sometime soon, or not sometime soon? In the future, the near future, hopefully. In the future, yeah. But that'll probably feature just Travis Touchdown as the main character. Yeah, most likely. All right, my second blip is about something that was packed in with an old NES game that you may have heard of, and it's called Star Tropics. That's with uh, Mike Jones? Yes, Mike Jones. What a great name. What a great American name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Star Tropics, for those who don't know, is this very like Zelda-ish kind of game. It's kind of an exploration. The weird thing about this one kind of goes back to what you were saying about Dr. Mario yep. on the 64, is that it was never released or even intended to be released in Japan. Mm. Even though it was created in Japan, it was produced and written and directed by Genyo Takada, okay. who is like the Nintendo Research and Development guy. He worked on Punch-Out! series a lot of those games and so yeah it was kind of a big deal they were trying to push it in north america it was on the cover of nintendo power but the weird thing about this is that it came with back in the day games used to come with uh, pamphlets you know manuals uh (laughs) did you ever have a a collection of manuals back in the day push yeah um actually like when i was younger i I used to get like the n64 boxes Mm -hmm. and i would like throw away the n64 boxes but I'd always like have like a pile of manuals and all the things that came with it. I still have a tin just in a drawer here in my office that's full of all my old N64 manuals. So I'm I'm glad I held on to those. Although the collector in me is also sad that I didn't like flatten the boxes and keep them too. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. In Star Tropics, the story follows Mike Jones, like you said, and he's visiting his uncle on this uh, fictional sea island. It's like sea, like the letter C island in the South Seas. And he gets there to see his uncle and his uncle's like gone. And so you have to travel around to these different islands. Okay. And all of them, all the places that you land on are, they end in the word cola because America. So yeah, Corla Cola is where you like get your yo-yo. And then apparently there's a submarine that you have to go into. Okay. But you can't start the submarine without a password. And here's where the physical thing comes in. So like I said, it came with a manual. But it also came with an actual letter that like a mm. physical letter that was written by your uncle in the game. Mm. And it says, Dear Mike, 
I'm sorry I did not write you sooner, but I have returned from a long voyage in the islands in search of lost ruins and artifacts. I was very pleased to find your letter upon return. Blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of stuff. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it says, I've enclosed some pictures and a map of Sea Island for you. Hope to see you soon. Give my regards to your family. And then at the bottom, the best part, says, Caution, do not taste, eat, or otherwise consume this paper. <laughs> and then it says, Note, this letter will be very important, so please hold on to it till the end of the game. Mm. And they weren't kidding. So if you didn't have this note, you could not progress in the game because there was a secret password that was on the note that you couldn't see until you dipped it into water oh my god yeah so you had to like submerge it which seems like man as a kid i'd be so afraid yeah (laughs) i'd be like oh god i hope this is how you do it (laughs) (laughs) so when you dip it in the water a special note appears that says mike i have found some strange ciphers in my last voyage since then someone has been watching me i put a tiny transmitter in my shoe its frequency is 747 megahertz, and that's the secret number that you have to change the submarine to that's a 747. Mm. And then you can move on with the game. But if you bought it secondhand and didn't have that letter in there, you wouldn't know like, how to do that. That's what you get for not supporting Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, some people think that it was part of like a mentality that Nintendo was trying to push not to rent games yeah. and not to buy secondhand games. Like, Go buy the game, but you can't finish it. But the interesting part, I mean, more interesting than having to dip the paper in water, I guess, is that when it came out on the Wii U, it it was only, in the virtual console, it was only digital. So what you had to do was you had to go into the digital instruction manual, and then it would give you the option, it would would show you a tiny little bucket of water. (laughs) And you could like click on the piece of paper and it would like digitally dunk it in the water and then it'd be like, oh my gosh, look what showed up. <laughs> a lot less guessing on that one. Yeah. But still kind of cool that they included it. They didn't just say, hey, the code is 747. Yeah. By, the, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Metal Gear Solid, like um, the, they also had that with the transmission, right? Yeah, I think so. It was something like that where you had to look into the, the manual. Yeah. And more recently, the game became available on the Switch as part of the um, Nintendo's online service, and they completely forgot the whole part oh, where no. you had to have the letter. Yeah, so people were playing the game, and they got to that part, and there was nothing included in the digital manual for the Switch, and you know they obviously didn't have a physical thing. So they kind of just uh, screwed everybody who played that game and had no idea. I mean... Now we have the internet, so we can just Google it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucks for those kids who aren't allowed on the internet. If you buy it on Switch, you have to uh, buy a copy of the letter on eBay, wait till it gets to you, and then just take a bath with it. There you go. And that's it. But yeah, Star Tropics could probably do its own episode, but the special message that you had to dip in water, I always thought was a very weird story. It's very interesting. I, I, I'm interested in like what things kind of nintendo included with their marketing materials like i know that earthbound came with like um stickers that said like this game stinks <laughs> yeah or something like that i think in earthbound you had to have um the player's guide came with the game every single game and that's why the box is so huge and why it's so rare and yeah yeah that's a that's a whole nother story
that's all for now. Thanks for listening. We'd like to give a special shout out to talented chiptune composer Jamatar, who has once again allowed us to use his track Midori as opening and closing music. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or want to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If, for some reason, you'd like to follow Ben and I, uh, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting MemoryCard on Patreon? Because you should. Some folks already are, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Harrison, and Courtney Cotton. We thank them all from the bottom of our nerdy hearts. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com backslash memcard. We'll be back real soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe. We'll see you then.